Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Uh, the title of the message this morning is BC. BC. And uh, I wonder what you think of when you see that. Maybe you think of British Columbia. Maybe you think of Boston College. Maybe you think of the, the abbreviation for because. Um, or perhaps you think of the time, right? Like BC and AD. You know, BC, before Christ, AD means Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. Maybe you think of that. Well, for the purpose of, of the study of Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 this morning, definitely what we mean here is before Christ. But what we're talking about is before Christ was in your life. Before Christ was in your life, what does the Bible say was true of you? Before Christ, B.C. I was looking into it <laughs> this past week, and I was just quickly looking at There's this television show called Biggest Loser. And, and, you know, one of the things about that show is that it's clear. The before and the after is clear. It's totally clear. It's measurable. It's scientific. You step on the scale Boom, that's what you are before. At the end of the show, the last episode, this is what you are now. The biggest winner, Rachel Fredrickson, went from 260 pounds to 105 pounds in season 15. And there's actually a scandal that she may have lost too much, and this is a whole thing. But here's the thing. With these contestants, there is, here's the key word, clarity. There's clarity about the before and after. And what I see often in the body of Christ, and you can, you can decide if you can relate with this, is that while the transformation to becoming a follower of Christ is profoundly more astounding than any story on that television show, many professing Christians lack clarity about who they were B.C., about who they were before Christ. And therefore, our conversion to Christ stories sound like they think we've just gone from being not that religious to more religious, or not that into church to being nudged into going to church. And yet the transformation into becoming a Christian and born again is so much more radical than that. And yet... We don't talk about it that way. And so it's not radical, transformative, attractive, profound to the people who hear our stories. So here we're getting into Ephesians chapter 2. James Boyce, a pastor, says, Chapter 1 gives us the past, present, and future of God's great plan of salvation. Chapter 2, however, gives us the past, present, and future of the person Christ saves. So verses 1 through 3 is you and me, B.C., before Christ. Now, just a warning, this is a negative three verses. The news is bad news. John Stott says, Paul plums the depths of pessimism about man. But we will take a positive perspective because, here's the key thing, for those who are in Christ, it's past tense. It's what was true of you. It's BC. And I would just say, if you're not a follower of Christ, you're not a Christian yet, you're still examining the claims of Christ, 
Maybe you're listening. Let me say something to you. It is popular in our culture to believe that the Bible teaches two things that are shown to be false by this passage. Number one, that God saves good people. And number two, that Jesus came to turn bad people into good people. Not true. It's not the message of the Bible. And these are both false. We'll see that in this passage this morning. Let me read Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And we've got three points in our outline this morning. You should be able to take notes. Look in the online worship guide for the outline as well. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning that you tell us the truth. That when we bring our souls in to see you as our physician, you diagnose us honestly. That apart from you, we're dead. Perhaps not yet physically dead, but spiritually disconnected from you, the true God. Banned from paradise and from the tree of life. Alienated from our maker and our creator and from one another. So God, you tell us the truth. But God, you have come to seek and save that which was lost. And you are our great creator and our great savior and redeemer, and we worship you today. And God, help us to not, as Christians, just be alive this morning, but to live our lives for you. And Lord, for anyone here who who does not yet know the life that you offer us through the gospel, Lord, I pray they would go from death to life this morning. We ask you that in the power of the Spirit, in the name of Christ. Amen. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 BC. The big idea this morning is this, and I think you, you already get it, but clarity about who I once was BC before Christ leads to gratitude about who I am in and with Christ now. Point one, I was dead spiritually. I was dead spiritually. Verse one of Ephesians two says, and you were dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You know, that's a pretty big statement Paul's making here. You're not okay. Apart from Christ, you're not just a little sick. Apart from God giving life to your heart, the Scripture says you're dead. 
spiritually dead. You know what? One of the biggest things I think you can wrap your mind around from the Bible as a Christian is that your greatest problem is not that you're a bad person. It's that you're a dead person apart from Christ. It's not that we're bad people that God's saying, be good people. It's that we're spiritually dead, like a cell phone that's dead. We're disconnected from the God of the Bible, the one true God. We're spiritually dead and will all physically die. Not that we're bad people. It's that we're dead people. And we need not, to, not a plan to become better, but we need life to be given to us. It's the same word, actually, the word dead is necros. It's the same word used in Mark, Matthew 8. It says, let the dead, the necros, bury their own dead. Since this word is being used here to describe the Ephesian Christians, what do you think? I mean, they're receiving the letter, right? What do you think? They're alive, right? Like they can read. They're alive. Dead people can't read. They're alive. He will even say in verse 2 and 3 that he'll talk to them about the way they once lived. Wait. They, they were living while they were dead? It's a contradiction. Does Paul know that he's writing two things that don't make sense? No. Hey, I know you already get it, but this is figurative. He is saying you're dead spiritually, not physically. We all will die physically because of sin in the fall, but he's saying you're dead spiritually. There are two words for sin here, the word trespass. And you were dead in the trespasses. You see it? That means a false step. That is a positive action. That's not slipping or tripping, okay? That is a false step, a trespass. And then he says, the trespasses and sins. And sins means missing the mark. Like an archer aiming for the target, missing it completely. The target being God's will being God's holiness, being God's ideal and desire for us to be fully human. We've missed the mark. We're sinners. One definition for sin from a theologian that I find helpful is this. Any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. And I like that definition because it covers more than just actions, right? Sin can be sin of your heart, your attitude, your inaction. Any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. And, and, and just know that sin is not this impersonal breaking of sort of the cosmic police officer's you know, thousand-page manual of laws and statutes. That's not sin. I mean, it is breaking God's law, but it's personal to God, who is a personal God. Our sin offends God. Our sin, every sin, is an attempt to de-God God. And that's what sin is, and understanding what it is is key to appreciating this statement, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Genesis and the whole Bible is clear that God is the creator and source of life. God tells Adam if he disobeys him, it says in Genesis 2.17, you will surely die. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey, God kept his word. The result of their sin was that they and us 
with them or us in them. We're exiled. We're cut off from the tree of life, that's physical life, and from the presence of God, that's spiritual life. Isaiah 59 says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. The state of humanity, separate from God and out of the garden, is dead spiritually and on the road to death physically. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. It it really is important to wrap our minds and hearts around the fact that B.C., we were dead spiritually. Not just that we were bad, but we had some goodness in the corner of our soul that we just needed to sort of fan into flame and nurture and grow, that it would spread, that we'd be good people. No. Dead. Bankrupt. Morticians don't ask dead people to comb their hair because they know they're dead. Dead people can do nothing. Well, I feel alive. I look alive. Okay. There's some cell phones that are fully charged but have no service provider, no connection. They're dead. They, you can still press buttons. You can still do stuff. You can still be even religious. But if you're not connected spiritually to the true God of the Bible, the Bible says you're dead spiritually. What's the picture here? What do you picture? B.C. Person drowning but waving their hands. Throw me a life rope. Or do you picture a person swimming away from God or lifeless at the bottom of the sea? Are there really even seekers? Well, there are. I mean, it says that, you know, that that we have a hole in our heart and that we're always seeking to fill it with things that only God can fill that hole with. We're, all, we're seeking something. We're seeking fullness and satisfaction. But are, is anyone before Christ really seeking God? I don't know. I wasn't. So we were dead spiritually, B.C. Well, this passage continues in verse 2 through verse 3a makes it clear that we were not just in that state. We were walking in sin. Walking in sin. In fact, if you look at these verses, they're so active, right? They're so active. It's like you see the word walking, you see the word following, you see the word following. It's like we were following someone or something, just like as Christians we're called to be followers, right? So let me read it to you, verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Just a little bit into verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. You know, I think that we often think of people who are not yet Christians, or even ourselves, B.C., we think of ourselves as like, a, an athlete in high school that has not yet officially committed to a college. We call that an unsigned college recruit. Or we think you're a college student, but you say, what's your major? They're like, I'm undeclared. We think of ourselves as like, we're undeclared. 
Or like a voter, right? What, is it, what are they called? Undecided voters. We think of ourselves before Christ as if like we're undecided, we're undeclared, we're unsigned. But is that the picture that the Bible gives? I mean, honestly, ask yourself that question. You say, well, I don't feel like I was. Well, let's not go off of our feelings, which are so subjective. God is a word, is a witness to how we really were B.C. And it says that we were walking, following, following, living in sin. Because of our high view of ourselves and our low view of sin, many of us view our past selves as like we're neutral. We're undecided in regards to God. We think we have gone from, when we become a Christian, from following nobody to following Jesus, right? But make a note of this. The Bible does not agree with you there. The Bible does not view you BC that way at all. These verses tell us that before becoming a Christian, we were enthusiastically walking in sin. We take our dog for a walk. Try to do it every day. And when he hears the leash, he is enthusiastic, to say the least. It's hard to even get the collar around his neck. He's so excited. He is fired up to go for a walk. And I share that only because I think it's important that we recognize that that's the picture. We are walking in sin. We are enthusiastically committed and decided to a course of life other than Christ, B.C. We were active, not passively. We were totally declared, not undeclared. The gospel is not that Jesus convinced and nudged us to cast our otherwise undecided vote for him. Rather, it's that Jesus violently died on the cross to redeem you and me and bring radical and fundamental transformation regarding who we are and what we live for. So who who are we walking with? Like, what were we walking with? And there's three things in this little short series of verses. We're walking in sin, but let's break that down as the text does. And we see here walking with the world, the flesh, and the devil. The verses give this to us. In fact, that's a popular phrase, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These verses give us that almost exactly. It's just slightly different order. The order here is the world, the devil, and then the flesh. Let's go through it. So we're walking with the world. Do you see that? Look at verse 2. In which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following, active, following. I'm a follower. Following the course of this world. Another translation does it this way. Drifting along in the stream of this world's ideas of living. We were enslaved to the values of popular culture around us, shaped by them consciously and unconsciously, As a fish is hardly aware that it lives in an aquarium, so we are hardly aware of how much the world influences our worldview. That's us, B.C. 
And believers are intended to grow. We're given life. That's in the passage next week. But we're intended to grow. Romans 12 says, renewing our mind and no longer being conformed. We were walking with the world. The second piece of walking in sin is walking with the devil. Wow, really? I mean, it says the prince of the power of the air. That's one of the names for Satan. You know, this does not mean that everyone here before they were a Christian attended the church of Satan. It doesn't mean that. You may not even know where that is or how to find it. But it does, at the very least, mean that you followed Satan's pattern of rebelling against God. You say, what is that? Well, quick biography. Satan, one name, 52 times in the Bible that name is used. Lucifer, day star or morning star, the devil, slanderer, tempter, evil one, liar, accuser. There's all these names referring to a person. Satan, the devil. We know that God created angels, Satan's an angel, before he created humanity, Job 38, before he created the earth. We don't know exactly when. We know from Isaiah and Ezekiel that Satan was a highly ranked angel, a cherub who was beautiful, yet he became proud and desired God's throne. It says in Isaiah, I will ascend to heaven. And he was cast down, it says in Ezekiel, from the mountain of God. Just some interesting stuff, I think, to understand the prince of the power of the air. Jesus in Luke 10 says he saw Satan fall like lightning. Revelation 12 tells us that at that time, one-third of the angels fell with Satan. Revelation 5 tells us that there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels. So one-third of that is a lot of angels or demons, but two-thirds didn't fall. So two-thirds of that is a lot of angels. It's a spiritual battle. Job tells of a time after Satan's fall when he could go between heaven and earth and speak to God. We see that in Job 1. The clear truth from the New Testament is that Satan has been defeated at the cross in the resurrection of Jesus, but he is still active. And believers can resist Satan and he will flee, James 4 says. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, 1 John says. But here's what Ephesians says, chapter 2, verse 2, that unbelievers, or you and I, B, C, this verse teaches that we were following the prince of the power of the air. So following or walking with the world, walking with the devil, just continuing here in verse 2, it says, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The spirit is sort of your core posture or attitude. Sons of disobedience. That's not like the name of like a political, politically radical group, okay? That's sons and daughters is speaking to your character. Those with the character of disobedience. So walking with the world, walking with the devil, and now walking with the flesh says, in the passions of our flesh. Look at verse 3. Among whom, I want you to see this. See how he switches from you guys to we. Do you see that? 
It's actually important. Look for that in Scripture. Look for that in Scripture, because that happens sometimes. So it's like Paul's writing to the Ephesians. He's writing to you and us too, like, right? Like we're Christians in a church receiving God's word. And he's thinking, what truths do they need to know? And then he gets to the end of verse 2, and he's into verse 3, and he's like, you know what? This is true for me too. And so he uses we instead of you. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Flesh represents our sinful, fallen, corrupt nature. The body and the mind is key, I think, actually. It's not just the sins of the body. It's the sins of the mind. The sins of pride. The sins of the mind and the body. And so walking in sin is the point here, B.C. Spiritually dead was point one. Point two is walking in sin. Point three, I was condemned. I was condemned. Clarity about who I once was, B.C., leads to gratitude about who I am now in and with Christ. I was dead spiritually. I was walking in sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and I was condemned. Look at verse 3, the second part of it. It says, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Nurture is what you grow up doing and what's done to you, right? Nature is who you are. It's how things always have been. Your nature. Naughty by nature, okay? Is that helpful for anyone? And were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath, again, children here referring not to like DNA or biology, but to character and to ancestral or original sin that it flows downstream from Adam and Eve and that you are in that stream. Children refers again to our character. Children of wrath. What is wrath? What is wrath? This word wrath, that's scary. It is scary. J.I. Packer says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. Holy God's response to people, men and women that he created, seeking to de-God him and rebel against him. God's wrath. So we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And that's a pretty clear statement of what the state of humanity is, according to God's word. Not basically good, just in need of some improvement but spiritually dead, walking in sin, and condemned. Clarity about who I once was before Christ leads to gratitude about who I am in and with Christ now. 
It's interesting here too. You know, you see, sometimes you hear people say, well, God is a God of wrath in the Old Testament, you know, but I like Jesus. I like the God of the New Testament. It's all love. Wait, are we in the New Testament? Oh, we are. Yeah, it's not like that actually. There are so many profound examples of God's amazing love in the Old Testament. And there are verses that speak so clearly, and Jesus spoke so clearly about judgment and the wrath of God in the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Perfect in love. Perfect in justice. So, B.C., I was condemned. I was condemned. And so as we close this very sobering passage, I wonder, let's ask the question, are we just horrible? (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like what we're thinking right now, right? Well, this is all true. It's all true. You saw it. It's all true in the Bible. It's all true about mankind. But it's not all that's true about mankind. I think that's an important statement. You know, we are, it says in the Bible, all created in the image of God. That that every person, Christian or non-Christian, has God's image imprinted in them, meaning they are able to reflect God in some form or fashion as his image bearer. And so we see great Art, great creativity, great brilliance, great beauty, great research, great development, great progress, great things to be celebrated, common good and common grace in all of God's creation. There's dignity and nobility, and it's not just for Christians, but it's for all people made in God's image. It's important that we remember that. But image of God notwithstanding, the before Christ condition is dire. Because eternity is a lot longer than this life. So what kind of salvation does the condition that we see in verses 1 through 3 this morning necessitate? You tell me. What kind of salvation does this condition necessitate? Think about that. Little church attendance going to solve that problem? No. Walking a grandma across the street in the rain? No. Think about the terrible lie that good works can somehow save in light of what the Bible actually teaches. Knowing this, knowing who we were before Christ, tells us how we ought to respond to the cross of Jesus Christ. He's done everything for us. It tells us how passionate we ought to be about telling others about the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says it this way, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were dead, while we were walking in sin, while we were condemned, Christ died for us. For those who are in Christ, it says they are made a new creation. The Bible also says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And all are invited and called and welcomed to come to the cross for that new life. 
And it doesn't say here in this passage, and it's noteworthy, it doesn't say here that God, at the point of conversion, and even as we get into the next few verses, you know, verse 4 starts with but. Two words, but God. But even as we get into that, it doesn't say God immediately made people into mature, wise, perfect, holy Christians. It doesn't say that. It just says God made you alive. Made you alive. And that's all the difference, isn't it, between being dead and alive? We still have to live our life for Christ. And that's the Christian life. In 2008, on the Today Show, there was a Thanksgiving special titled, Back from the Dead, Three People Thankful to be Alive. In the show, they interviewed these three people who died and came back from the dead, so to speak. Zach Dunlop, brain dead from an ATV accident, Organ donations were already coordinated. Laura Eusterman, lightning strike, no pulse, then in the deepest coma medically possible. And Jill Finley, heart attack, deep coma, minimal brain activity, husband said goodbyes and pulled her from life support. All three people on the Today Show, thankful to be alive. And so they're interviewing them, and I'll just share with you a couple of observations. Number one, accurately speaking, All of these three people were almost dead, but not quite. They were dead, so to speak. Number two, all of these people were radically grateful for the life that they are living today. And number three, and this is, I think, really key, all of these people had to be told by witnesses, by doctors, by family, hey, did you know you were dead? They didn't know that. They were told by witnesses. That's what God's word is doing for us this morning. It's a witness. It doesn't matter if you have that testimony of, oh, I was in the world, I was crazy. It doesn't matter. You have a testimony. God's word is a witness about your testimony that you, before Christ, were dead. Regardless of your background, your memory of your background, your past wild living, your lack thereof past wild living, God's word is a witness. Not almost, not so to speak. You were dead. He is saying that to you this morning so that you can be grateful. Also, so that the life you now have, if you have it in Christ, you can live for Christ. We were dead, but with Christ we're alive. We were following the world, the flesh, and the devil, but now we follow Jesus. We were condemned, children of wrath, but now we are justified, children of God. That's the good news that we are going into in Ephesians chapter 2 and as we continue getting closer to Easter. So let's pray as the music team comes back.